0: A core special teams player and the class clown of the VMAC is back under contract for two years with the Seahawks. Find out more details in our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast brought to you by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for our Wednesday episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening over in the Hawaiian Islands, you're listening in Mexico, or you're listening in nearby Redmond, we greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen Five days a week. It's one of our favorite episodes all offseason long. We finally have gotten to our offseason blueprint. Rob and I will be dishing out our thoughts on what the Seahawks should do on the offensive side of the football in free agency and the draft as we get closer to the start of the new league year. Sure, to be some interesting discussions and debates. We'll have defense coming next week, but it's all offense. On today's show, which is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the NFL, make every moment more. Visit fanduelcom on today to get started. Now, for your lead story here on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, in what has been a very busy week at the VMAC, the Seahawks continue to take care of some off-season business. Second straight day making a significant re-signing after signing Phil Haynes yesterday. Nick Ballor is coming back for two more seasons of duty. He will be going into his 13th NFL season. And Rob, that by itself is a remarkable accomplishment. When you consider that Nick Ballor entered the NFL as an undrafted free agent out of Central Michigan, for him to still be playing and playing at a high level He believes he's got several more good seasons in him. Clearly the Seahawks agree as well. He has been one of the glue guys for this football team since he came over in 2019 as a free agent. He's been a pro bowler, multi-time team captain. And now he's been ensured that he's going to be with the Seahawks for the next two seasons, a much deserved pay raise 6.6 million over two years, maybe a little more than fans expected, but this guy was a key player that teammates wanted to have back. The coaches wanted to have him back and, very valuable to one of the best special teams units in the NFL.
1: Yeah, you just, you just said a mouthful right there. Uh, Nick DeLore is a really good football player. I mean, his ability to make an impact on offense as a fullback, on defense as an inside linebacker, on special teams, and playing very, you know, the variety of roles, you can understand why the Seahawks made him a priority. And so we kind of talked about this previously. I mean, Seattle making – the, the kicker, Jason Myers, the guard, Phil Haynes, and now Nick Bellore, their top priorities in free agency before they address the quarterback position. I think this kind of just makes a statement about what the club feels like are the important positions and the important glue guys, as you said, on this roster. And so, hey, give Nick Bellore a great deal of credit for earning this contract. It is a little bit surprising to me that he got the dollars that he received. And so that, that's going to be a whole different conversation that we're going to have about how Seattle is going to allocate their free agency dollars here moving forward. But still, the, the big thing here is I, I just want to kind of give a little bit of credit, Nick Bellore, because again, all the different roles that I just mentioned on the field, And then what you just said off the field about the the two Belors and his position as kind of the the team's comedian and that glue guy who just kind of makes a locker room that much better. I think that that's important because this is the kind of player that you want to build around, and he is a good football player. So, hey, kudos to Nick Belor, kudos to the Seahawks for recognizing what he can do and how a player like this can help your team be better than what the analysts kind of expect it's because of guys like that because of guys that are going to be able to kind of create a little bit of camaraderie around and behind the scenes that's exactly what nick baller does that's why he deserves this type of contract and i'm excited to see what's going to happen moving forward
0: Going back to the off-field stuff, as you mentioned, between two Bellores maybe that's the best part about this agreement. We know we've got two more seasons now that have been signed on on YouTube with the popular show that fans and teammates alike seem to really dig. And so we get that, but it's all seriousness, though. As you mentioned, Nick Ballor, a fantastic football player that really plays like his hair's on fire when he's running down on kick and punt coverage. And he's led the team in tackles on special teams each of the last two seasons. In 2020, he finished second of the team behind Cody Barton, but he was the Pro Bowl selection, not Cody Barton. He's got an ability to go down and knock the football loose. We've seen him do that a few times in special teams. He is good in, in punt protection. They missed him in one game that he was out with a concussion this past season. He just does it all. He played over 75% of Seattle special team snaps this year at 33 years of age. And so that would be the one question. And that was the question I had going into the free agency process. Would the Seahawks give him a multi-year deal because of his age, but because he is a special teams core player and doesn't play a lot of offensive snaps would play defense only in an emergency that is going to allow a player like Balor to be able to prolong his career some. And so I'm not surprised that he's getting a two-year contract here. And, and just the value that he brings to your team. Some might scoff at the idea of paying him 3.75 million in 2023, but the salary cap is going up for one thing. And secondly, the value with Belore is not just the stuff that he does in terms of tackling and the production, it's the leadership. And I have great respect for him personally. Me being somebody that has done stand-up before, I have great respect for his self-deprecating humor. I mean, this guy bashes his age and bashes his hairline and all kinds of other stuff all the time. And I, I just have a great respect for him for that. And you can tell his teammates do too. He's just one of those guys that if there's tension in the room – He's going to break the ice, but he also knows when to be serious and lead the young pups. And we've seen that with young players on special teams ever since he came over in 2019. So this signing is much more than just how many tackles Nick Bloor made. It's about him being a multi-time captain, a guy that is respected in the locker room, the coaching staff holds him in the highest regard because he can do so many different things well. He is truly a Swiss Army knife. He can play offense. He can play defense in a pinch and obviously a fantastic special teams player. You add in the locker room value and suddenly the dollars and cents, they make some sense on why Seattle would pay that much to bring him back because he is that important of a player and that big of a rock of this football team.
1: He is a really good player. At the same time, I was surprised by the amount of money that Seattle just allocated to him. And we had a similar conversation a year ago when, when Seattle gave a whole bunch of money to Will Disley. And, and I, I think that what it is a statement of is how Seattle, and that's that's Pete Carroll, that's John Schneider, how much they are willing to just kind of reinvest in their kind of guys. And, and so I, again, I think that's amazing. I think it's spectacular. I, I want to congratulate Nick Ballore, uh in, in what that he has achieved. I think it's also a statement about the way the Seahawks are trying to build their roster here. They are not going to give Geno Smith or anybody else so much money that they are willing to drop some of the other glue guys. Again, a great expression, a great term that you use there. They're not going to just drop those guys because they want to pay the quarterback so much more money. I think this is a statement to the rest of the team. If you are all in on the Seattle Seahawks as Nick Blore is, as Will Disley is, then you are going to get paid. And the people who are just kind of half in are not going to get those type of contracts. So I I think that this is, again, a little bit of a a moment to kind of congratulate Nick Bloor and other players like that. I think it's also a little bit of a statement to the other players out there that this is exactly what the Seahawks are expecting of you that you do have to kind of buy in you do have to play multiple roles that they are going to reward guys who you know as you just said offense defense and special teams those players do deserve a little bit more money a little bit more accolades this was not a one-year deal this is a two-year deal for a player as you mentioned is 33 years old But my goodness, every time I saw Nick Bellore play fullback, he did it very well. Every time I saw him play inside linebacker, he did it very well. And certainly on special teams, his his votes as a pro bowler speak for itself. So again, I think that this is an opportunity for Seattle to kind of reward one of their own and to send a little bit of a message to everybody else on their roster or you know, future players that they might be trying to add to this roster that if you are all in, you will be rewarded by Seattle.
0: You're all in. You do the right thing. You offer versatility. You do anything the team asks you to do in a pinch. Pete Carroll and John Schneider showing we will pay you the money that you earned. And this has been something that's been consistent, whether fans agree with it all the time or not, that is the philosophy. And as John Wooden once said, if if you don't have a philosophy, then... When you're not going to be able to get the job done, something along those lines. But uh, as Pete Carroll mentioned last year, they're going to stick with that philosophy. And so this signing, an interesting one in terms of the financial value at the same time, not a surprise type of player and the production that Nick Ballore has provided the Seahawks that he's getting a new contract. Coming up next is one of our favorite episodes of the year. It's time for Offseason Blueprint What do Rob and I think the Seahawks should do? On the offensive side of the football, we'll be covering free agency as well as the draft with some draft crushes, some free agent crushes, some really fun topics that we're going to be diving into with plenty of discussion and debate coming up next year on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. We have reached the midway point of the NBA season, and now is the perfect time to download the FanDuel app, America's number one sportsbook because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and three-pointers drained. I'm a big fan of betting on player props, including FanDuel's player double parlays. For example, you can bet on Andrew Wiggins to eclipse 20 points in the Warriors' first game after the All-Star break at just plus 175. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there. Whether this is your first time giving Locked on Seahawks a chance, first time listening, or you are a diehard five-day-a-week listener, we greatly appreciate your support. It's time for one of our favorite episodes. We've been kind of building up to this over the last couple of weeks. We've been looking at some free agent primers and Grading each position group, and now we have a chance to really push forward with what the Seahawks should do on the offensive side of the football, so it's time to dish out a blueprint, and Rob, we're going to start off the festivities today looking at free agency, in particular, the offensive free agents that the Seahawks have, which ones we think are going to be back, which ones are going to be moving on. I'm going to dish you the mic first. As always, which players do you see being back in a Seahawks uniform on the offensive side of the ball next year and which ones are on the way out and could there potentially be a cap casualty or two sprinkled in there?
1: Oh yeah, certainly cap casualty. We've had many conversations and I, I I hate to kind of lead this off with the, the conversation about, releasing a veteran, but let's be real. Gabe Jackson uh, at the right guard position, I just don't think that he played up to the expectations of his contract moving forward with Phil Haynes being retained on a one-year deal. Uh, I, I do think that that is a very much a sign that, that Gabe Jackson may be on the way out, so I think the cap casualty he would be where I would start the conversation. Uh, I think that if you're going to talk to about the, the 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 position, the players, excuse me, on the offensive side the ball that Seattle needs to make a priority, then obviously the 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 NFL's comeback player of the year, and Juno Smith, the Pro Bowl that he is, yeah, he's got to be a priority. But at the same time. I, while I think that he should be a priority for Seattle to resign, I think there has to be a number. We've talked about this on previous shows, Corbin, that the Seattle has to be willing to just acknowledge the fact that Geno Smith is going to be looking for that generational wealth type of a contract. And so while he should be your top priority to retain, I think that it makes a statement here and just who Seattle has resigned to this point, Jason Myers, Nick Bellore and of course, Phil Haynes, as we talked about just a second ago. The fact that Geno Smith was not among the top three players that you just re-signed should be a little bit of a statement that Seattle is willing to look at other positions. So I think that Geno Smith is going to be your top priority, but still you have to have a plan moving forward. We'll be talking about that in a moment. So to me, the three priorities on the offensive side of the ball, that the free agents you'd love to keep, Geno Smith, Phil Haynes, as we just talked about, and I would like to see Seattle re-sign Austin Blythe. To me, he's a coach on the field. I think that you would love to draft a center who might be able to push and perhaps surpass Austin Blythe, but still, he is somebody that I think that you need to bring back until you have an upgrade at that position. Similar to the conversation that we had yesterday about bringing back Phil Haynes with the expectation that you were likely to cut Uh, Gabe Jackson loose as far as the free agents that I think that you should allow to walk to me. There's some players that I, Hey, if you get them at a, a quality price that makes sense for what you're looking to do, I would love to bring back a Rashad Penny. I would love to bring back a Marquise Goodwin. To me, those are two players that fit in with your system at their age, at their durability. If you can get them at very similar deals as what you brought them in a year ago, sure, I'm all in on bringing Rashad Penny and Marquise Goodwin back. But at the same time, Travis Homer, I think that you can be better than Travis Homer. Good player. I could make an argument to bring him back, but I don't think that he is necessarily a priority. I feel the same way about Drew Locke. And Drew Locke, I still believe, can be a starter in the NFL. I just think that if you are going to allocate big dollars to Geno Smith, then I don't think that you can also make an argument for Drew Locke to come back. If Geno Smith was to leave, that's a whole different conversation, and we will have that moving forward if that is the case. But at the same time, assuming things go the way you expect, Geno Smith is brought back. I think that Drew Locke makes his money elsewhere in 2023. So, Travis Homer, Drew Locke, this, the backup center, Kyle Fuller, Laquan Treadwell, all of those players I think you can expect to kind of move elsewhere. And again, possibly Marquise Goodwin and Rashad Penny. What that leaves is who are the outside free agents that you may want to target? And Corbin, we talked about this in yesterday's show. I am not in love with this wide receiver class when it comes to the 2023 draft. So two of the players that I really think could fit Seattle's offense very, very well in very, very different ways would be two different wide receivers. DJ Chark, who played his college ball at LSU, went to Jacksonville, then went to Detroit. But I just love his straight line speed, his big playability over the top. To me, he is a bigger Not quite as fast as Marquise Goodwin, but still offers that similar type of ability over the top. So DJ Chark from the Detroit Lions, I think you might be able to get him here in a nine to ten million type of a contract. He signed for significantly less than that previously, but still, I think that he might be somebody that would fit make a lot of sense for Seattle. And then Juju Smith Schuster, the wide receiver played last season in Pittsburgh, or excuse me, in Kansas City, previously the Pittsburgh Steelers, and of course the USC Trojans prior to that. He is not the straight line speedster that DJ Chark is, but he is physical. He's one of the more physical wide receivers in this class. So I think that if you wanted to look at the free agent route for a wide receiver, again, I don't think that this wide receiver class in the draft is quite as good. I like the veterans in this class. Juju Smith-Schuster, his physicality, his ability to play uh, in the running game and block downfield, and again, he matches up really well with one of the receivers that I kind of projected for the Seahawks to take in the first round, Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. Again, the physicality, the the ability after the catch, that to me is something that's really intriguing and very much lacking uh, for the Seahawks. So if they were to allocate significant money, on the offensive side of the ball to an current draw or a current NFL free agent, then those two wide receivers are two guys I'm really, really high on.
0: Looking at my blueprint, we're on the same tangent in some regards. I think Geno Smith's got to be one A, one B, one C, whatever you want to call it. He's got to be your top priority. He has earned that contract. Now, as you said, there's got to be a number. Every team's got those numbers. And with Geno Smith only having one season as a strong starter there may be a little bit of hesitancy about giving him too much money, but he has certainly earned that big contract. Where you and I differ here, Austin Blythe they could bring back, and I've talked about this some earlier in the offseason. The big issue for me is I just see such a detriment in the run game. He just physically cannot hold up. He is not a guy that's going to be driving defenders off the ball and I didn't think he was great in the zone blocking game last year either and we know that Pete Carroll wants to be able to run the football especially late in games when the Seahawks have a lead this still feels like a position that the Seahawks absolutely need to upgrade now maybe you treat this the way that you did with re-signing Phil Haynes and you re-sign Austin Blythe so that you have that insurance policy in case you can't get the guy you want in the draft or you can't get another free agent that you're looking at Uh, but at the same time I think that, as you love to say, the proof is in the pudding from what you see on the film. The run blocking just isn't where it needs to be. And I understand the leadership and the communication. Those are very important, particularly the center position. But it just still feels like this is a position the Seahawks could do better. And as far as Rashad Penny and Marquise Goodwin, I view these two guys as players that can come back that aren't going to be hotly pursued at the beginning of free agency. And this might be something later down the line if those two end up coming back. But that's what I would try to do is get those two players back on reasonable deals that aren't worth a ton of money, that are affordable, because they can be big-time playmakers for you. As far as the other players that are on the outside looking in for me, away from Blythe, you and I would agree with Travis Homer. And I think Homer's got a decent skill set to be a third down back, but injuries have been a significant issue for him. And I just haven't seen enough from him as a runner between the tackles to suggest that he's going to ever be able to be that number two guy for you. I've seen that from DJ Dallas more in spurts, and he's obviously going to be coming back next season. So I don't see Homer returning. And the other three players in the out, I agree with you on Drew Locke, mainly because I still think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to make a flyer with Dave Canales, their offensive coordinator. They can say whatever they want about Kyle Trask, but I can definitely see Dave Canales telling ownership, hey, we need to go out and get Drew Locke because I've worked with him last year. He could run my offense. And so I think there's a very good chance that he could compete for a starting job there. And center position, I've talked about the need to upgrade. Kyle Fuller has been here a long time, and he's a player that's played some guard. He's even played some tackling games, but they just need to get better at that position. And Laquan Treadwell is a player a player you could bring back in the practice squad next year, potentially if you wanted to for depth, not somebody that you need to rush around to re-sign. So I have those four main players, Penny and Goodwin, being later free agents, coming on the offensive side of the football. And as far as a preferred target— Some of you listening to the show are going to wonder which direction I'm going here because I have talked up a number of the center prospects in this year's draft, but there is a free agent center and the Seahawks have had chances to go out and get players like Corey Lindsley a few years ago, and they haven't been willing to spend that money to significantly upgrade the center position. I'm going to give you another name out here to try to rectify that situation. Garrett Bradbury, who's played for the Minnesota Vikings the last four years, former first round pick. He had some issues early in his career in pass protection, but he really found his groove this year For the NFC North champions and he has consistently been one of the better run blocking guards in the league he's especially well suited for the zone blocking game he's really not much bigger than Austin Blythe around 305 pounds but he plays bigger a more physical presence and he also moves really well again for that zone blocking game and so if they could get Bradbury in that nine to ten million dollar range which would put him around your fifth sixth seventh highest paid center I would be willing to pay that price for Bradbury because he's still only 27 years old. I think he's coming off his best season, and I still think he's maybe got his best football ahead of him with the improvements he's made in pass protection. He'd be a good scheme fit, too. So you could immediately cross off that center position, and now it gives you more flexibility going into April's draft.
1: It does. And so I have to acknowledge the fact that Garrett Bradbury's athleticism, his starting experience, um, that makes an awful lot of sense for the Seahawks. But uh, again, I like this center class uh, in, in terms of NFL draft. And I, I don't know that, that John Schneider is going to agree with me in that regard. I mean, the fact that I have been pounding the table for Seattle to select and invest in a young center for, it seems like, I don't know, a decade or so it feels like, um, then then hey, may, maybe they will go that free agency route. Whether it be Bradbury, where it be another player that I argued a couple of months ago that Seattle might be want to consider as a possible trade process like Bradley Bozeman from the Carolina Panthers, a bigger man who I think could be able to push some people off the line of scrimmage. I 100% agree with you that adding a veteran center makes a lot of sense, especially how Seattle has prioritized veterans at the center position. It seems like they've been kind of loath to select a, a young center at the same time. Again, I think that the center class is a good one. I think the wide receiver class, in terms of the NFL rookies, is not a, necessarily quite as good. That's why I would be allocating my financial free agent dollars to the, the one of the wide receivers, one of the pass catchers uh, out there in free agency, because I just don't love the talent at the wide receiver position in this 2023 draft class. So kind of going back to one of the other questions we were going to talk about is our, our first round crushes. And Corbin, I, again, I, I would 100% agree with the sentiments that we've been talking about the whole year. If you are going to go with a quarterback, then you have to go with a guy that uh, you know, in, in G- Smith that just kind of proved who he is and he had a spectacular season for you here but at the same time if I was going to kind of go with one of the my first round crush I, I got to go with Bryce Young and, and I get it I mean this is a guy who's probably going to measure in I don't know five six 150 pounds and I'm, I'm kind of joking here but There's going to be so many people who are going to make such a big deal about the fact that Bryce Young does not have the size that you want. But, oh, my goodness, he was an unbelievable player at the high school level, an unbelievable player at the highest of the college – at the college uh, level. And and I just see a guy who has the same type of awareness that I saw with Russell Wilson. that He almost has eyes in the back of his helmet. He just has a different feel – for people around him, his ability to kind of dip and duck and slide and move and make the under, uh, kind of drop his arm level and make throws in the, the the short and intermediate levels, has the ability to throw the ball over the top. I just see an unbelievable player who kind of transcends the size conversation. I think that he should be the number one or number two overall pick here. The Chicago Bears, of course, have a number one overall pick. Who knows if they're going to be taking a quarterback with Justin Fields already on their team. Houston, Texas, number two overall. They desperately need a quarterback. Maybe they go for a passer like Bryce Young. Maybe they go for one of the other guys, but if Bryce young were to fall to Seattle and I, have I don't know that John Schneider will make this decision. I think that he wants to go with a quarterback who is bigger or stronger, has the bigger arm. I get all of the upside conversation with some of the other quarterbacks in this draft class. But, Corbin, I've been watching Bryce Young for the last couple of years, and I just don't see very many players who have his instincts. And to me, accuracy and anticipation to me are the true rare qualities that you look for in a quarterback. And I think that Bryce Young is off the charts in those two elements. I think that he's below the charts in some of the other elements. That's why I do think that he has a possibility to slide into Seattle's lap at number five overall. And that's why I think this could be such a fascinating draft. Because there's very few times where I and Seahawks and, and some of the other NFL scouts out there have differed in our opinion about the top quarterbacks as much as I do this year. For me, Bryce Young is the top quarterback. I love the accuracy, the upside I see with C.J. Stroud. I certainly love the upside of, of Anthony Richardson. But if you had to kind of put the you know proverbial, put you on the spot, who is the top quarterback in this class? Again, Bryce Young, I think the proof is in the pudding, as we just said a moment ago, and Bryce Young absolutely seals the deal in every which way for the Seahawks or for any other team, frankly, in the top five.
0: As we'll be talking about when we get to our defensive blueprint, I have a lot more first round crushes on the defensive side of the football. And in part, it's because I feel like the Seahawks have a lot more needs on that side of the football. But If we're looking at first round crushes on offense, I could talk quarterbacks, but I'm all in on Geno Smith right now. And, you know, maybe there's another quarterback that might get shopped that maybe would make some sense for the Seahawks to go after. They have the first pick right now. Maybe they draft Bryce Young and suddenly their other quarterback is available. You know, I just feel like there's other options right now to consider. So for me, it's all about protecting the quarterback and who better to look at than a guard that didn't give up a single sack in his entire college career at Louisiana Lafayette and his final season playing in the rugged SEC at Florida and that is Osiris Torrance a mountain of a man we got to see him play in the senior bowl and he actually measured in at what Pete Carroll would call a svelte 337 pounds but this guy has been hovering over 340 and He's not like a super fat guy. Let's just not, let's not, let's discount that right now. This is not a big out of shape balloon guard. I mean, he is a just massive human being and he can get after guys in the line of scrimmage, knock you off the ball. He's got surprisingly nimble feet for a player of his size, particularly in pass protection. His biggest issue is he has issues at times getting off balance and lunging. And so that's something that technically is going to have to be worked with, but we've seen guys come into the league and they're able to rectify that problem with proper coaching. Andy Dickerson has shown that he can teach technique. And so you bring in a player that's got all the physical tools and has that nastiness. Osiris Torrance, he has, he has nastiness in droves. Just watch the film. He's been outstanding in pass protection. Again, didn't give up a single sack his entire college career, Right there's your right guard. And I know you just signed Phil Haynes, and maybe he can still be that guy. As we talked about in yesterday's show, he's flashed in spurts. But there's been injuries. He's been inconsistent. You gave him a one-year prove-it deal. You draft Cyrus or Torrance and you see if that rookie can come right in and immediately take that starting job. And if he does, that's a huge win. If Phil Haynes ends up beating him out, okay, hey. For one year, that's okay, but you still believe that Torrance can be the guy. You take him in the first round, you're hoping that he is a day-one starter like Charles Cross was last year, and with the experience he just got at Florida, how he performed at the Senior Bowl, I think this is a guy that could jump right into the mix day one and bring physicality and stellar pass protection to Seattle's front line.
1: No, there's no doubt about it. He absolutely can provide that. I, I just am kind of operating the assumption that your starting guards are going to be Damian Lewis and Phil Haynes next season. And so if you are drafting a player either at number five or number 20 or obviously in a, any type of trade scenario, you're, you're expecting him to be a starter. And, and so I, I agree with you. I, I think that Cyrus Torrance is a really good football player. I think that he fits in beautifully with what Seattle likes to do. I'm just looking for somebody who is either a quarterback who is going to absolutely change the meter moving forward or is going to be an immediate impact player. And that's, again, why I kind of went with my first-round crush being Bryce Young for the Seahawks. Again, a tip of the cap to C.J. Stroud, who, in my opinion, is the most accurate quarterback from the pocket in this draft class. And what I saw from him in a narrow loss to georgia was spectacular uh you know accuracy anticipation a, a greater willingness to run the the football that that was not something we saw during his career at ohio state so again i think that his upside is through the roof and then anthony richardson oh my goodness i i still would really struggle with the idea of selecting number five overall but you're talking about a guy who i haven't seen physical traits like him since cam newton and obviously Cam Newton was the MVP at one time in the NFL and obviously the number one overall selection all those years ago. So to me, I those are the guys that I have the draft crush on. There's a couple of wide receivers out there who are intriguing. You know, maybe Johnston, Quentin Johnston from TCU was the wide receiver just because at 6'4", there's not a lot of guys that can move the way he does. But at the same time, if I was going to just kind of go with one of those guys who I think has a draft crush you can fall in love with, number five overall, again, that would be the quarterback in Bryce Young. Now, moving forward as far as the second round, day two guys who I have a draft crush on. Again, we talked about the center position, interior offensive line. That has to be a priority for the Seahawks. I argued a moment ago I thought the Seahawks should re- retain Austin Blythe. I don't think the Austin Blythe is going to be a top level starter in the NFL moving forward. I think that you have to have a a certain baseline at that position and then be able to try to draft a rookie who is going to be able to beat out that veteran. And to me, one of the guards and centers who's really intrigued me, and I say guard and center because he's played both positions, did so with the Senior Bowl as well, is TCU Steve Avila. And and you mentioned before with Osiris Torrance at 337 pounds, he's damn near svelte. I mean, you know, Steve Avila is 330 pounds and he has the same type of quickness. And again, it has that positional versatility. He has played at an elite level of football. And so I just really love his game. The more I watch him, the more I can kind of see him fitting in with Seattle. I think that for Seattle, he would be a center. He played his senior season at the guard position previously had been at center. I see physicality. I see athleticism. I see level of competition and I see grit with Avila. And so to me, he is one of the many centers in this class. I mentioned Joe Tipman from Wisconsin. we already talked so much about John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota as well. I like this center class. I think it sets up beautifully for Seattle to be able to take a player that they feel like has upside, but at the same time, I just don't think that it screams Seahawks to draft a rookie and expect him to be your starter. I don't think this is the tackle position. I think you want to bring back your veteran and then draft a rookie who has the upside to eventually beat out that veteran. To me, Avila is one of those players. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes in the late first round, but if he is available one of the Seahawks' two second round picks, to me, he is a guy that makes an awful lot of sense.
0: Yeah, you went with the grid in the second round. I went with the grid in the first round. You went with the flash in the first round. It's time for me to get some flash with my day two crushes, and we've talked about this issue. You talked about needing a center for a decade. It feels like it's been a decade since the Seahawks had truly had that outstanding number three target to go with their other receivers. And Zay Flowers from Boston College, when I watch the tape, I do see quite a bit of Tyler Lockett's game in the way that he plays. He's a very savvy route runner. He's a smaller built guy, but he's tough. He'll run routes to the middle of the field. He can win downfield as well. So you see some things that Tyler Lockett brings to the table but really it's the ability to create from the slot and they haven't had that third guy. They can consistently do that. And for his size, Zay Flowers is a player that'll surprise you with his toughness and his ability to create after the catch. And so he checks off so many of the boxes that we have been arguing for and maybe D Eskridge can turn things around in year three, But nothing we've seen from durability to just on-field production when he has been healthy suggests that he's going to be the guy that they thought he was going to be when they picked him out of Western Michigan. Zay Flowers is a player that, quite frankly, had an underwhelming quarterback play for a good chunk of his time at Boston College, and he played in kind of an archaic offense for a good chunk of that time, too. This final season for the Eagles, though, finally broke out with over 1,100 receiving yards found the end zone quite a bit. This is a player that I think would be an outstanding compliment for Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and eventually down the road because Tyler Lockett is not getting any younger. This can be your guy that steps up and replaces him as another player that can get thousand plus yards a season for you. And so I think if you can find a way to get him at pick 37, he might be a first round sleeper going into this draft, especially with the depth that receiver not being as good as we've seen in the past, but. If they can get him at 37, I think it has a chance to be a steal because this is a player I expect to come in right away and play a lot of meaningful snaps and really bring that complimentary game and create after the catch as well, a very well-rounded receiver that fits what the Seahawks that typically looked for from a skill set perspective. And I think he'd be a good fit as that third receiver. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're available on Apple Podcasts and all the major podcast platforms. And you can stream video form five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on our Thursday episode, I'm going to be tackling your questions in an extended mailbag segment, plus taking a close look at one other quarterback option that maybe the Seahawks could consider. I kind of already foreshadowed it a little bit earlier in this episode, but we'll be touching on that on our Thursday episode. Hope you'll be tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday, and thanks for listening in. Go Hawks!